Upper Room Discourse, where we dissect the meaning of Christian music and the history of Scripture. I'm Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. What will we discuss this week? Keep listening to find out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, our third episode in the uh, uh, Justify series. I had to think about it for a second there, what our series was called. Uh, but yeah, third episode of the Justify series. And we'll be looking at Sola Gratia today yep. by Grace Alone. Uh, so we're looking at the five solas. Basically, they're kind of like five core beliefs of Protestant Christianity, and they all surround the doctrine of justification. Yeah, we've already gone through a couple of them. Uh, sola fide, sola faith. Yes. And then soli deo gloria. Yes. Um, that is God alone is glorious. Yeah. Uh, those are the last couple of weeks, so be sure to check those out as well. And uh, today we're going to be looking at sola gratia, uh, which means by grace alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, justification is by God's grace alone. Our salvation is on the basis of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And we've got a verse that covers that, don't we? Yeah, it's the same verse we've been looking at for three weeks now. Well, it's the third week. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I, I want to bring your attention to by grace you have been saved. And that's kind of our focus for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, same kind of principle. Um, you know, Christ's death on the cross is by which we're saved. Mm -hmm. It's the gift he gave himself up. And we'll be looking at that through both a song and a book study. Book of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, So before we get started, uh, I do want to mention two things. Uh, If you're listening on Spotify, we have a brand new playlist. So if you uh, go to our Spotify page and just swipe where it says more like this, uh, you should see a playlist that's titled the Upper Room Discourse Playlist. And you can actually see and listen to all the songs that we review on there. Yeah, and we'll be um, uploading playlists also on YouTube mm-hmm. um, for each series that we do, just so that they're separated. Yeah, uh, and you should be able to notice because there's different thumbnails and images for the different series as well. Uh, second thing I want to mention is uh, two weeks ago we were talking about Fanny Crosby, and uh, I made a misspoke. It was right in my notes. In my notes I had it correctly, but when I was speaking I said it wrong. It happens. Uh, I So... In the recording, I said that she was she went blind when she was six years old. She actually went blind when she was six weeks old um, as a baby. That is a pretty big difference. Yeah, it's a big difference. Uh, but I just want to make sure I have that correction out there. It was right in my notes. So my notes were correct. My research was right. I just didn't read my notes correctly. Uh, now, without further ado, we're going to jump into our song for today. And, uh, oh, what a song we have for today. It's a really good song. It is a really good song. Uh, So we're going to be looking at This Is Amazing Grace. Pretty cool song. Well-known song. By Phil Wickham. Yeah. Uh, So it was the lead single, and it's also track four off of his fifth studio album, The Ascension. And uh, that release was on August 6, 2013. Wow, so just a little over 10 years ago. Yeah. I thought that honestly came out. Longer ago than that. So. Well, see, technically it did. Uh, so it was written by three people. It's an interesting story. I think if you guys have some time to do the research, I would recommend it. Uh, just a story of how the song came to be. Uh, but our three uh, people that wrote it is Phil Wickham, obviously, 
uh, but Josh Farrow and Jeremy Riddle, which uh, some of those were a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't know that. Uh, but Jeremy Riddle should be a familiar name if you know Bethel Music. Oh, yeah. Because he was with Bethel Music until 2019. Interesting. Yes. And we have our own thoughts on Bethel, but yeah. that's at a later date. Uh, but then there's also Josh Farrow, who if you didn't know, Josh Farrow was the lead guitarist of Paramore. Paramore. Yeah. Interesting. Well, he's a Christian. Yeah. He's always been a Christian, but... Still interesting, though. Yeah. So it's a cool story because uh, basically Phil Wickham and Josh Farrow got together one day. This is while Josh Farrow was still with Paramore. So this is well before, uh, like this would have probably been like 2009, 2010. Yeah, long time ago. a little sooner. Uh, but they kind of messed around, wrote this song. Uh, just kind of was like an audio file. And uh, somehow, some way, it ended up where Jeremy Riddle heard it. And he was like, that's a cool song. I like that. Let's. He was like, let's add a little bit to it, change a couple of lyrics, and let's make a song. Right, and then we get... This is Amazing Grace. Yeah. Uh, so it was originally recorded live for Bethel Music's fourth album, For the Sake of the World, and that released on October 1st, 2012. Uh, however, Phil Wickham came the year after uh, with his new with his fifth album, The Ascension, and he actually revamped and changed a little bit. They play the songs differently, basically. Right. Very um, differently. Yes, they do very differently. If you listen to the Bethel version versus Phil Wickham's version. Uh, the other thing is it was produced by Pete Kipley. I mean, it's just information. Uh, I do have a couple stats. Okay. So uh, the, it was, the single received platinum status on December 11th, 2018. Wow, that's actually really good. Yeah, and it's his only song to ever hit platinum. Only song for, okay. Yeah. I would have thought he had more, but. You would think. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, platinum is uh, by the RIAA. And basically, it means that there were a million units sold of the song. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's like a high prestige to hit platinum status. Yeah. And even above that, there's also uh, diamond status, which is, I believe, 10 million copies. Which are, which are our artists that have hit that. Yeah, it takes a lot to get there. But yeah. I mean, even platinum is still... Even platinum's impressive. Noteworthy. Yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, on Billboard U.S. Christian songs of the 2010s, so these are the decade-end charts of 2010, uh, do you know what number this was on the list? Seven. Not quite. Oh. Uh, but it was 16, which honestly, that's pretty high. That is good. You know, it was top top 20 on uh, Billboard U.S. Christian songs of the 2010s. So definitely a very popular song. Yeah, very still well is. Known. Yes. Uh, so with that, let's jump into our review. Uh, so we're going to, like we always do, we're going to talk order of lyrics. So it's a verse, verse, chorus, uh, then an extended verse, chorus, then the bridge line is sung four times, and then a final chorus. This is how Phil Wickham does it. Uh, I would label this as a song of praise, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I would also label this as a testimony, and we'll kind of get into what I mean by testimony when we get into the review. Uh, I did put three people down for the audience. I definitely think our main audience for this song is God. Okay, yeah. Uh, especially in the chorus. I think you see that. But I also put uh, Christians as an audience for this song. You know, it's like we're singing together with Christians together. Right. Two Christians. And like a uh, communal song. Yes. Uh, and really the connection why I say it's a testimony is that I feel like the world is also a really good audience for this song as well, like the lost world. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh... It's a way to show them that God is who he is mm -hmm. and that, you know, our struggles can be overcome through him. It's true. 
So um, we're going to first off, we're going to look at musicality, essentially singability, the melody, how the music sounds. Uh, basically, is this song a bop or is it boring? A bop or a flop? There you go. Bop or flop. We're going to coin that. Bop or flop. Uh, this song is a bop. Absolute bop. I know I say that for a lot of songs, but this song is definitely there. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely a top five of uh, most played, at least at our church and the yeah. youth group. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, wow. So I think people are not going to be happy about this. Uh, original key, E flat. Not just E flat. Uh, it's played open, no capo. At least that's how Phil Wickham plays it. Yeah. And for those of you know that no guitar, that means basically every chord is a bar chord. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Yeah. Especially if like you're still beginning to learn how to play guitar. No, a beginner guitarist could not play this at all. Uh they could do what Jeremy Riddle does and capo it like way high. And that makes it a lot played in like G. Yeah. <laughs> uh but original key, E flat, and if you look at like the videos, like original videos, how Phil Wickham does it, you can tell that's how he's doing it. He's barring those chords. Yeah. And the best I could find is E flat as that original key. E flat. Um, looking at musicality, a lot of what makes this song shine is the guitar. I think the guitar is very iconic in this song. Yes, guitar and definitely drums. Mm-hmm. And it actually propels it forward. It's not the drums propelling it. It's really the guitar that propels everything. Yeah. And you can hear that very strongly. Yeah, not like the acoustic guitar, but we're talking about the electric. The electric so. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down, if I was an electric guitarist, this would probably be like my favorite song to play. Yeah, especially as like a believer. Yeah. I mean, just... It's just so much fun. There's like, there's yeah. that cool riff, the intro riff that they play. Yes. Oh, I wish we could play it for you. But uh, even like through the verses, they're still going hard. Yeah. Like, it's really cool. Uh, other than that, there's a really cool build with the bridge. Uh, this is in the original studio recording, uh, but there's this cool echo that I didn't know about. But it, he kind of does this echo in the bridge where he sings it, and there's like a little bit of like reverb echo behind him, and it sounds really good. And really in the cool. original, in the original, yeah, in the studio, a recording of it, and I, I love it. Uh, honestly, I make it. It feels like the bridge is not as repetitive as it is. Like they say the right. line essentially, well, three and a half times, basically four times, but it doesn't feel like it because it's like it's almost like it's different every time he says it, which I like yeah. musically. Uh, now that's that's the good things. There's parts of the songs that are not very easy to sing, and the issue with that is Phil Wickham is an amazing vocalist. He is very very gifted. Uh, he does he adds a lot of embellishments in his vocals when he sings. Yeah, he. I would also say that just his vocal range is insane for a guy, especially his age. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, insane is the word. Yeah. Uh, basically, I wrote, it's not very easy to replicate if you're not Phil Wickham, basically. <laughs> yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're not Phil Wickham, then I, I'd see you having a hard time to sing, being able to sing like Phil Wickham does. Yeah, and a perfect example of this is listen to the last 30 seconds of the song, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, where there's so many vocal embellishments added, and it sounds so good. Yeah. But it's so hard to sing and replicate. It is. But, I mean, and that's not to say that... Um, you know, we can't sing it out on our own mm-hmm. and still give glory to God in the way that we sing. Oh, yeah. Um, so I would I would just add that, you know, our point should not to be to imitate any of these people. 
mm-hmm. and how they sing it or what they do when they're singing these songs. But we should be singing our best for God. Absolutely. Uh, I put the bridge as another example. Uh, I like the change, uh, but he does change the melody a little bit, and like the pitches do change in the bridge, and that can be tricky, especially if you like don't know the song that well. Right. To be able to know when the change happens and how the change is, you know, it just makes it a little tough. Uh, also, there's a lot of long held out notes in this song, where the notes are just held out for a long period of time. And you're really exposed at that point, and you really need to get those pitches, or you're, you're like people will tell if you don't hit that pitch because the note is so long held and exposed. Right. And uh, that's for me, that's the takeaways when it comes to the melody, like the singability of the song. I feel like there's elements that take away from it. Yeah, I think it's mostly due to just who sings it mm-hmm. and how it's sung, because it it is difficult when you're trying to sing in that higher vocal range like yeah. Phil Wickham is. Now you can obviously like you know change that, mm-hmm. and like we were saying, like with the guitar chords, capo it up to a different yeah. key. Honestly, play it like Jeremy Riddle plays it, right? Because he plays it. I actually do kind of like his version. It's not my favorite. I, I definitely love Phil Wickham's version of it just because of the build yeah. of the music and all that. Uh, but Jeremy Riddle does a pretty good job of this song. It's a little slower. Right. I have uh, to go listen to it. Yeah, you should go listen to it. Uh, but, and, that, and that's something else to talk about. Oh. <laughs> uh, the tempo. I don't know if you're about to get into oh, this. Oh, we haven't talked about the tempo at all. Yeah, so. It's a very fast song. Very fast. Very, very fast song. A part of that is just the electric guitar because you can feel it. Yeah. Uh, but I do. I love the music. I think the music is amazing. If we were just grading it on music, it'd be five out of five. But because we're looking at singability as well, uh, that takes away, which gives me a four out of five. Right. Which I think is a pretty fair assessment of the song. Uh, now we're going to look at poeticness. Uh, essentially, we're looking at flow. We're looking at grammar and things like that. Uh, I put that there's a lot of cool things happening with the verses. Uh, I love how the verses are very question-answer oriented. Yes, yes. Uh, essentially, the question of who is being raised in these verses. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? Just two examples there. Right. And I think this goes back to the song we did week one, mm-hmm. um, where I brought up not not necessarily a gripe I had mm-hmm. with that one, um, but I think Jeremy, not Jeremy, Phil Wickham. I was about to say Jeremy Wickham. Uh, <laughs> Phil Wickham, I think he does a good job with this. Uh, it's the question, mm-hmm. right? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? And then he gives the answer yeah. in that same verse. Yep. And then he asks a couple more questions, mm-hmm. and then he gives the answer again. Mm-hmm. And the answer may be the same, but you know we can go into that saying that God never changes. Yeah. And why should he or why would he? Mm-hmm. So that's where I put, you know, we have the question of who being raised and then we have the answer of who essentially the king of glory the king above all kings and that's jesus yeah very clearly jesus uh, i put there's a similar thing that goes on with the chorus you know this is amazing grace this is unfailing love what is amazing grace what is unfailing love he answers it right afterwards yeah that you took my place that you bore my cross yeah and then he answers it in the second part of that too mm-hmm. that you laid down your life yeah and we'll actually get into that a minute mm-hmm. yeah when we start talking a little bit more about the lyrics and all that we'll right. talk about the scriptural implications of all that uh, and then 
for me, that's the biggest cool things with the flow. Uh, other than that, I feel like the flow from the different sections of the song are not done super well. Uh, there's definitely a disconnect between the verses and the chorus. Almost feels like they're two different songs put together. You know, they don't flow into each other very well. Uh, now, I do like the structure of it uh, because they have a really cool connection with the bridge. Right. And that's what I like. Uh, but if we didn't have that bridge, I feel like there would just be no, like, I feel like it'd be two songs, essentially. And I'd be like, how do they go together? Uh, what I wrote down is both the verse and the chorus, they're both talking about praise. Right. But it feels like there's different audiences between those two. And if you look at those personal pronouns, I mean, in the verses, you see, you know, leaves us breathless. You see, make, where is it? Brings our chaos. Right. You know, you see that, and they're, they're phrased as questions and answers, you know, but we're not asking God. You know, this is almost like a proclamation. But we get to the chorus, and 100% we're talking to God. Right. You see the change to you yep. over and over again. Yeah, and that's a good uh, that's a good thing to bring up, mm-hmm. um, and I think it plays into you know the audiences that you talked about earlier. Yeah. There's more than one, right? Uh, we see that you know it is other believers mm-hmm. and probably non-believers to testify of God's greatness, and then also God. Yeah. So, and songs can have that. They can have more than they can. Uh, some sometimes they're done really well. Sometimes, like like in this case, it feels like they're two separate ideas right. together being put together. Uh, now, I will say, I do think the bridge does a really good job of kind of bringing everything together and tying everything together. And uh, I think I'm going to talk about that later when we get to evocation. Let me check my notes, see if that is correct. That is correct. We'll talk about that when we get to the evocation. Uh, but essentially, there is a cool theme through this song, and you really see it in how the bridge ties the entire song together, which I like a lot. So I put four out of five on poeticness. Uh, I think it's a really cool, really poetic song. A lot of cool things happening. Uh, I just feel like, again, it's just, I feel like the flow is not the best in some parts of this song. Yeah. Flow. Yeah. Especially from the verses to the chorus. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's mostly, you know, put together by the instrumentals in between. Yeah. Um, But I will say like, as far as uh, the lyrics go, um, we do see a lot of, and we've used this word, in the past couple of weeks, quite a bit, inclusio. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, ideas being brought up mm-hmm. at the beginning and end of a section. Um, so we see, like, you know, the third line of the first verse, the king of glory, the mm-hmm. king above all kings, and that's repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is amazing grace, and then all that you've done for me. Um, so it's kind of opening, you know, grace is the idea of being given something. Mm-hmm. And then he repeats that at the end of the chorus. Yeah. So let's look at evocation now. I know we mentioned it a little bit. Uh, basically, evocation, this is the vibe check. You know, the feelings that are evoked out of listening to this song. Right. Uh, I put that there's a lot of really good things here, uh, but I also think that there's a danger or warning that you'll find with this song. Yeah. I'd, uh, say, I'd say one of the, you know, if we're getting into the feelings, one of the first feelings mm-hmm. that I would say are brought up in my mind are like a sense of pride and joy i guess yeah absolutely uh, i put that as jo- the song does a really good job of instilling a feeling of awe and praise yeah uh, and even thanksgiving yeah definitely thanksgiving i mean or else we wouldn't have like 
the lyrics like uh, that you would take my place, that mm-hmm. you would bear my cross. Uh, I sing for all that you've done for me. Yep. And uh, this is where I was talking about before where I really love how the bridge ties the song together. Uh, I wrote down this song reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of what God has done and it leads us to a proper response of praise. Right. Which I really like that feeling that's coming out of it. You know, the verse and the chorus, they lead to the bridge. The verse talks about who God is. The chorus talks about what God has done. And then we get to this bridge where it's just we're praising him. We're saying yeah. that he is worthy. Yeah, and I kind of like how um, the flow into this bridge, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're kind of upbeat, you're fast, the whole song, and then you get to the bridge and it kind of slows down. A little and bit. A little bit, yeah, to take a minute and to remember why you sing these things mm-hmm. and to remember who it is you're singing to and what mm-hmm. he has done for us. And by he, we obviously, obviously mean Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now that's the good things that we have out of the, right. uh, there is a warning and a danger that I want to bring up. It's right. very easy to lose yourself in the music. There's so many moving parts in this song and this music. Like the guitar is like the electric yeah. is going through the entire song doing different things is very, very uh, active. It's yeah. very easy to lose yourself in it. I would say it is very easy to, um, especially getting distracted. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, you know, you can focus way too much on the drums, focus mm-hmm. way too much on who's singing, focus way too much on the tempo, the beat, the guitar. You know, they may be doing really cool effects. Mm-hmm. You know, it may sound really good, uh, but that is not what we should be focusing on. Mm-hmm. I wrote down emotion should not guide worship. Right. Rather true worship is what should guide emotion. Right. And we know true worship is done in spirit and in truth. That's uh, John chapter four. Yeah. When we let our emotions run rampant when it comes to worship, mm-hmm. then we lose sight of what worship really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we kind of let our hearts take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really think we we let it become an experience mm-hmm. instead of a, a reality exactly and it, and it should be a reality and not an experience because we're not experiencing god you know god should be a reality that's lived out mm-hmm. in everyday life and that's what worship is mm-hmm. you know we just do part of worship is just done through songs you know the rest of your life is also worship yeah i mean romans 12 verses what one and two yeah, and James 1 as well. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really big danger and something that we should be careful of. And I wrote this as common in a lot of contemporary Christian music. And yeah. as we continue with more contemporary songs, you're going to see us mention it over and over and over again. Uh, but the way it's constructed and the style, it's easy to lose yourself in the music and just be overcome with just emotion. Yeah, I think that's the biggest danger uh, you know, and mm-hmm. I, that's what I hate about contemporary music nowadays, especially Christian contemporary, is that it's moved more towards, you know, eliciting a response through mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. instead of a response through truth and through the Bible and life change. Yeah, sometimes it feels like it's all about just trying to get a response from the people. Yeah. You know, and I feel like feel like that's not a very good thing, at least not for a young Christian. I think for a mature Christian, I think they understand. Right. And they're, you know, they've matured enough in their faith. But I think a young new Christian, you know, that doesn't know, you know, it's a dangerous thing for them. 
Right. Yeah. A faith built on emotion alone is going to be shallow. Mm -hmm. And a faith built on Christ, you know, and it's funny because, you know, there's like, it seems like 80,000 songs that have come out this year about Christ being the firm foundation. Mm -hmm. And while they're good songs, um, I have nothing against that line, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, there's truth in that. You know, Christ is the firm foundation. He's the only foundation Mm -hmm. for salvation. Mm -hmm. So that's what we should be building upon and not our own emotions Mm -hmm. because they lead us astray. Yeah, and understand, I don't want to say that you shouldn't have emotions in worship. You know, I think emotions are very closely connected with worship. Right. You know, but the emotions are not what leads you. The emotions are not what guides you. The emotion comes out of what's already happening in your spirit. Right. That's where they come from. Yeah, like you can have joy in a Mm -hmm. song. You can definitely sing a song with happiness. Yeah. Um, You can sing a song in repentance Mm -hmm. and with sadness. Um, So, you know, emotions aren't wrong. Mm -hmm. But like you said, they should not be the driving force. Absolutely. And what I wrote down is that a less mature Christian would allow emotion rather than spirit and truth guide the worship. Yeah. And... I've always liked what, so Robert here, Robert Murphy is our youth pastor here. Um, and he said this on occasion, but if the words are on the screen mm-hmm. and the reality of your life is not measuring up to what those words are saying, then you should probably refrain from singing and just let the music wash over you oh, and yeah. just listen to it. Because mm-hmm. there's sometimes in our lives where, you know, we can't sing the words on the screen because of maybe a sin we're dealing with, mm-hmm. maybe the circumstances we're dealing with. Uh, so sometimes it's best to just not sing at all. Yeah, and just listen. Mm-hmm. And that comes into the motion part of it. And some songs are built for that. Right. I mean, some songs are built to listen to as opposed to sing along. And I would say you can definitely use um, This Is Amazing Grace as one of those. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've known in my own life, there's been plenty of times where it's been a reflection mm-hmm. of how I've been in sin. And then we've seen the words. It's the first line of the song, who breaks the power of sin and darkness. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reminder that we don't overcome on our own. No. But we overcome through Christ in us. Uh, a verse I want to bring up. Uh, and I think this is a verse that we're probably going to visit a lot when it comes to uh a lot of these contemporary Christian songs. I, I mean, I guess just worship in general, it's a great verse, uh, but it's found in Isaiah chapter 29. And we're talking about the people of uh, Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, And uh, Jesus actually quotes this in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus quotes out of Isaiah. Uh, but basically the verse goes, and the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. I think that's a very convicting passage, especially with this song, because the song is all praise. You know, and how many people are singing this song, yet their hearts are not there. They're just singing it with their lips, and that's it. Yeah, and I think that's the danger also of uh, the church mm-hmm. is that we, as a, and I mean the church as a whole globally, you know, we teach too often that even if you're stuck in sin, mm-hmm. no matter your circumstances, that you can sing a song any way you want. Yeah. And that's not true. Right. And we just kind of went over that a second ago. Um, But, you know, you have to be careful about what song you're singing, especially Mm -hmm. like if you're in a certain circumstance or situation or sin 
and a song like this comes up, mm-hmm. maybe you just need to sit there and listen to it mm-hmm. and listen to the lyrics and just remind yourself of what God has done for you and repent mm-hmm. by listening to the song, you know? Because sometimes, you know, I mean, repentance is, you know, shown through your life, but it does start with prayer yeah. and with thought. And, and I'm going to be honest with any song when it comes to worship, what I'm going to tell you is if you don't believe those words and if those words are not true, don't say them. Right. Then you're a liar. Right. And it's funny because we're going to be in Leviticus today and <laughs> there's definitely a chapter about saying things you don't mean. So. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I give it a four out of five on a uh, evocation. Uh, unfortunately, I think most contemporary Christian songs are probably going to get that four out of five or yeah. less. Uh, just because again, there's always a danger in a lot of these contemporary songs. There is that danger there. Right. Uh, and obviously, I mean, that danger is obviously there in any worship song. But yeah. I think it lends itself more strongly in contemporary music. Yes, I do too. Uh, so now we're going to look at uh, lyrics, basically how scriptural are the lyrics of this song. And uh, what do you think? I think they have tons of draws from scripture um, as far as like being one-for-one one parallels, I think it's lacking. Okay. Uh, I would say this song is very scriptural and very based on scripture. Yeah. Uh, I think the I think the only one that's a direct scripture-like uh, quote would be the bridge. Yeah. It's like straight up out of Revelation chapter 5. Right. Uh, but I do think most of the way, like the song is written very similarly into like how a lot of like psalms are written and like a lot of things from scripture. Like it's, there's a whole lot of scripture in the song. Yeah. And I was just looking, um, it's actually the chorus, uh, that, yeah, this is amazing grace. Mm-hmm. This is unfailing love. Um, I bet we've brought it up in the past three weeks, every week, but <laughs> Psalm 117, yep. it talks about, you know, God's unfailing love, mm-hmm. his unfailing faith and how we should praise him for it. Yeah. Uh, so the first verse that came into my mind when I heard this song, uh, well, I mean, not the first time I heard this song, but when I was doing my research, uh, Psalm 105 Verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. And I think that really encompasses what this song is about. Because you know, that's what we're doing with this song. You know, We're giving thanks to God, we're singing praises to him, we're telling the world basically what he has done in our life. That's the testimony part, right. know, the chorus there. You know, and even that, we're proclaiming who he is. I mean, he's the one who breaks the power of sin and darkness. He's the one whose love is mighty and so much stronger. It's him. Yeah, and I was just reminded of um, this past Sunday. So in the college group, we're talking about Psalm 100 and Psalm 101. Mm-hmm. And then Psalm 101 one says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice mm-hmm. to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless, blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just interesting that, you know, even in, you know, different Psalms, and, you know, not everything is found in Psalm, but just about everything is found in Psalm, and mm-hmm. there's a tie somewhere. Um, but, we, I mean, we see this, you know, and I think that's a good thing to remember is that we can walk in integrity in our own house mm-hmm. when we remind ourselves of who died for us. Yeah. So verse 1, we're going to look at verse 1. Uh, lots of scripture here. So I hope you guys are ready and prepared. 
Uh, actually, this is a great time to go ahead and plug our Patreon. Uh, so you'll find us uh, patreon.com forward slash the upper room discourse. Yes, and we will be putting on there all these different scripture quotes mm-hmm. and other references that we use throughout the time. Yeah, and you'll so. be able to find that. And uh, that portion's free. So yes. uh, obviously you don't have to pay. You can just go on the desktop or download the app uh, and you can just be a free member and you can see these verses as they're posted that way. Cause I think it's a good resource, right? You know, so, you know, and also I mean, it's good to, you know, look at these and familiar, familiarize yourself mm-hmm. with these references mm-hmm. uh, because it gets you used to going to different places in the Bible and yep. places in scripture, seeing how songs connect with different scripture uh, and then using those in your daily life and just, you know, our, the commandment from God mm-hmm. is to hide his word in our hearts. Yep. And we see that. And when we do that, our tendency is to turn away from sin mm-hmm. and to turn towards God and love him. Yep. So uh, we'll go back into verse 1 here. First uh, Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57 basically talking about our victory over death and sin, namely Jesus and his victory over it. Right. Uh, John 1, 5, uh, light overcoming darkness. John 8, 12, Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, that's all in that first line right there. Uh, then we have a uh, second line, whose love is mighty and so much stronger. Uh, I put down John three sixteen, Romans 5, 8, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, 1 John three sixteen. 1 John 4, 10, 1 John 4, 18, all talking about God's love. A lot of 1 John in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's just like a small little excerpt, you know? I picked the first three, and then I'm like, you know what? 1 John has a lot. I mean, you should just read all of 1 John, basically. Yeah. But 1 John says a lot about God's love as well. It does. Same with John, just in general, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, third line, the king of glory, king above all kings, and this gets repeated over and over again. Uh, but two places to look, Isaiah chapter 9, namely verses 6 and 7, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, uh, essentially Jesus and his authority, he's the king, the king of all kings, lord of all lords. A perfect example of that is found in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, when we see the one who is called faithful and true and was written on his, I believe on his thigh, what does it say? The king of kings. And Lord of Lords. So, like I said, there's a lot of scripture. That's and that's all in just like those first three lines, verse one. Right. Uh, then verse two. Uh, a lot of it is very similar to what we have before. Uh, I think a really great passage to look at in connection with this, Exodus chapters 19 and 20, and really mm. focus on the thunder and lightning, and really focus on the response of the people. And I think that'll get you an understanding of what verse 2 says. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? Right. And I think that's two chapters that do a great job of showing that, that it's God. Uh, now let's look at the chorus. Amazing grace, unfailing love. I mean, all of Scripture. I mean, I put down Ephesians yeah. 2, verses 1 through 10. I put down Romans chapter 5. I put down First John chapter 4. Yeah, we see it in Galatians as well. Yep. You know, that's just a couple passages to just look at. You know, that's not even everything. Right. You know, even more so we have 
I wrote down First Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, uh, basically talking about that he took our place, right. bore our cross, laid down his life, is basically where that looks at. Uh, I also put um, Matthew chapter 27, Mark chapter 15, Luke chapter 23, John chapter 19. And uh, I think a Christian would recognize every single one of those chapters is the crucifixion. Right. The crucifixion is big. And then mm-hmm. I would say, um, you know, you laid down your life that I would be set free. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Galatians just a second yeah. ago. And that plays heavy, heavily It does into that I would be set free. Uh, Paul goes and he talks about how, you know, the Jews at one point were slaves to the law. Mm-hmm. And through Christ, they're no longer bound by the law mm-hmm. because Christ fulfilled the law. Yep. Now, there are certain things that are brought from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, uh, and we should still, you know, observe those things. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, Old Testament law is completed through Christ, and we don't necessarily have to observe it, Mm -hmm. or unless we would just want to be bound by it and then shown our sin. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down that this chorus is the message of the gospel. And I'm going to be honest. Yes. Just read the whole Bible. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. every, you'll find Genesis this one throughout day. all of Scripture. You'll find these yeah. same things, these same themes, these same ideas. You'll find it through all of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Yeah. Genesis 1, Revelation 22. Which, interestingly enough, this song draws from Genesis and from Revelation. Heavily from both, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's the chorus. I mean, obviously, it's, I know it's a lot of verses, and it's a lot. That's why I wanted to... Tell you guys, I'm going to have these written down in a resource so you can see them, because I know it's a lot. Uh, verse 3. Uh, so verse 3, it's kind of like two, it's six lines, but instead of them being yep. broken up, they actually run straight into each other. Uh, that's why I call it kind of an extended verse, like verse 3. Uh, but we look at Genesis 1, creation, literally chaos being put into order. Yeah, and isn't there a verse um, It says God is not the author of Chaos, I believe. I feel like I've heard that before, maybe. It may not be a verse, but I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah. Somewhere. I'd have to do some more research on that. I wrote down two verses to have to do with adoption. Well, not, but I guess passages to have to do with adoption. Uh, Hosea chapter 2, verses 21 and 23. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Yep. You know, all talking about adoption. Let me see. Who rules the nations with truth and justice? I wrote down, look at Psalm eighty nine fourteen. I think is a great place to look. Uh, also, understanding that Jesus is the truth, as found in John fourteen six. Yeah. And, I mean, the next line shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, this goes back to kind of week one. It does. But Jesus shows up in front of John mm-hmm. and all his radiance. Yep. And, you know, he's got burnished bronze skin, mm-hmm. white hair, eyes like fire I feel like that that's kind of the picture I get from this shines like the sun and all of its brilliance yep and I brought up Revelation twenty one twenty three, uh, which basically talks about how God's glory illuminates everything there is no right. sun because God's glory is illuminating right and we also see that um, we see that I didn't talk about it last week but we were in Exodus mm-hmm. and you actually you actually mentioned it mm-hmm. um, but God leads the people by day yeah, and a cloud of glory, mm-hmm. and then by night, and a pillar of fire. Yeah, both are his glory going before the people. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the fire, radiation, it radiates heat, mm-hmm. radiates light. And I think that's just another way to show that, you know, God is glorious. Yeah. God is faithful and true. Now, the bridge uh, is straight out of Revelation 5.12. Worthy is a lamb that was slain. Uh, I also put down Revelation one eighteen. Basically, Jesus conquered death. Yeah, I would say Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 53 as well. Mm-hmm. 53.6, yes. I believe. Uh, so again, lots of lots of scripture, lots of. That's why yes. I say there's a lot of scripture in this song because there is, yeah, lots of draws. Once you start thinking about it, it just start popping into your head. Yeah, I put five out of five on scripture and lyrics. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I would too. And even if they're not like direct scripture quotes or mm-hmm. scripture references, you do see the draws from different ones. I mean, they almost are direct quotes. Some of them. Yeah, you know, or they're taking things from separate verses and putting them together. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, all of it, I think, would 100% line up with Scripture. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's look at our final thoughts, final things. Uh, so final score, this song ended up at a 4.25 out of 5. 4.25. Which is lower than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be higher. Like a 5 out of 5? No, I, don't, I didn't think it was going to be a 5 out of 5. Feel like that's not easy to hit. Maybe a four point five out of five. Yeah, maybe somewhere around there. But ended up a little lower than I thought. Uh, but still not a bad score. Still in a really really good score. Yeah. You know. Wanna, have, yeah. I'd definitely put this in like a top ten, if mm-hmm. not top five. Yeah. And we haven't hit the songs that are gonna hit low scores yet. We've we've like we've like only selected songs that are really good songs. We haven't selected any like bad songs yet. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Jeremy. Uh, we're gonna be probably hitting some of your songs soon. Oh, Jeremy Riddle. Yeah, you're right. We might be. <laughs> uh, actually, I think next week is uh, Bethel Music, one of the songs we'll be looking at. Mm. I don't know if it's going to get a bad score, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I wrote down this song fits basically into any worship set. I will say the song does not lend itself to being played slow. Even no. if you're doing it acoustically, it's still a fast song. Yeah, and I don't know about any worship set. Like, I wouldn't put it in one where it's, like, a time of reflection. Well, yeah. Even though it can draw out reflection, I, you know, I'd keep it out of something like mm-hmm. that. Well, that's why I say it doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah. Uh, should you play this on a Sunday morning with a congregation? Yeah. I wrote, you could and you should. Yeah. You should. Yeah. It is a great song. I don't see why you wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. Unless you're just against Phil Wickham or something, but. Yeah, I mean, I could be that could be one reason why. I mean, now that you know that Jeremy Riddle had a hand in writing it, you might be like, yeah. I don't want to listen to that. Yeah, I the mean, politics of it because it's Bethel music. You know, I'm not worried about the politics, at least not when it comes to yeah. these reviews. If it's if it's biblical, mm-hmm. if it matches up with scripture, if the tone is right, yeah, you know, then sing it. Yeah, I mean, who are you affecting by not singing it? You're only affecting yourself. yourself. Because it's not like they're not going. It's not like you're going to go on strike and then they're going to stop playing the song. I mean, people are right. still going to play the song. Yeah, they're not going to pull the song off of every yeah. streaming service available. Yeah, it's not going to get canceled just because you don't agree with the politics of it. Right. You know. I mean, and you know, it just kind of goes back to, you know, there's that verse that we love to bring up. You know, don't look at the speck of dust in your brother's oh, eye. Yeah. <laughs> when you got a log in your own eye. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what I see when it comes to things like that. Like, you know, Jeremy Riddle may be, you know, involved with Bethel music. But that he doesn't... used to be. Or anymore. used to be. 
But that doesn't mean like, you know, Bethel music can't put out biblical, yeah, truthful, God honoring songs. Mm-hmm. You know? And that doesn't mean that Jeremy Riddle himself can't put out those same kind of songs. Yeah. And we see it with Phil Wickham here and Josh Farrow and, mm-hmm. and they do it with this is amazing grace. I mean, it's the same. You can say the exact same things about Phil Wickham yeah. as well. Yeah. So I don't think it's worth, like you said, the politics of it. Yeah. yeah it's not worth keeping out of the music. I just set. want to keep the politics aside. I understand right. if you're, you know, in church leadership or you're a worship leader and you have to think about the politics then. Right. But for the nature of this podcast, I don't think we need to worry about politics at all. No. I'd say go ahead, put it in the worship set, sing it, yeah. praise God through it. Exactly. Be Listen done to it, it in your car, right. pop out to it, because right. it is a jam, it's a bop. Get your own electric guitar and learn to play yeah, it. Learn to play it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I feel like we've rambled on enough here. Uh, when, I, when I prepared, I was like, this is really long. Like, this might be the longest song review we've done yet. And... uh I think you guys listening in are aware of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good song, so. Needs more words said about it. Probably not, but it's got enough. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a break. Uh, Then we're going to come back, and we're going to do our word study and book study. We'll see you then. All right. Oakview Baptist Church is located at 810 Oakview Road on the corner of Johnson Street and Oakview. Join us for Bible Fellowship every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30 and for service from 10.45 to noon, or on Sunday evenings from 6 to 7 for our evening service. If you are college age or a young adult, you can join us for The View on Sunday evening at the same time as the main service. On Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, we have Word of Life for the Youth, Awana and Cubbies for the Kids, and an adult Bible study led by our pastor. Check out the links in the description of the YouTube video for past services or more info. Leviticus. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, a very specific few chapters in Leviticus, but I mm-hmm. do want to uh, start off with grace and how we'll be seeing that, what this word means. Uh, so in the Hebrew, uh, this word means favor. Um, it is pronounced hen, so H-E-N, but it's actually spelled like if you were transliterating it, yeah, it'd be C H E N. But I guess I pronounce hen. Yeah, no C in there, that's, no ch sound either. Be like the, that's the best we can do. It's a guttural. Yeah, so it's hen is probably as close hen, as we can get in our like, own yeah. English because we can't really speak Hebrew. Right. Um, it could also mean, like we said, grace, uh, charm, elegance, or acceptance. Uh, so just keep those words in mind as we go through this. A mm-hmm. um, couple of verses. Actually, I want to step back for a second. Merriam-Webster's uh, dictionary actually gives us a really good definition of what grace means. Oh. And it is unmerited divine assistance, 
given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. That's the primary definition that Merriam-Webster gives. Good definition. It is. And then the actual third one uh, is approval or favor. Mm -hmm. So same word, favor, seen in the biblical use and in Merriam-Webster's use of the word. So going with that, like I said, this Hebrew word for grace, it means favor. First use is in Genesis 6 mm-hmm. and verse 8, and very specific because we're talking about Noah here. And it says, but Noah found favor, that word there, oh. in the eyes of the Lord. The last use, uh, this is actually a very important prophecy uh, coming from the book of Zechariah, and it's found in chapter 12 and verse 10. And it says, I will pour out on the house of David and, i got to clear my sticky note, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Mm. So that's the last instance we see of that word. Very important. And we'll see how that links both Leviticus and the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I kind of want to talk about a specific word that's actually used in the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and that is sanctification. So sanctification and favor. How do they play a part in Leviticus? How does it relate to grace? And how do we see all three of these, grace, favor, Mm -hmm. sanctification? How do we see it in Leviticus, right? So favor means preference or approval. Sanctification is making or declaring something holy. That's Mm -hmm. also found in Merriam-Webster. And then holy, Mm -hmm. kind of our own definition. And it's really what it means, but set apart. Yeah, Holy is set apart. Right, And so we see a progression in these three words, first off. So favor, God looks upon us with favor, with approval. And how does he look on us with approval? Through sanctification. Mm-hmm. Sanctification being the act of declaring something holy. And holy being set apart, we're set apart from who? Everybody else in the world. Yeah. From sin, from evil, from darkness. We're made light because God is light. And so he looks upon us in approval through that. So we'll see how that uh, that plays out in Leviticus. So if you don't know what Leviticus is, basically Leviticus is like the first main law book mm-hmm. we get in the Bible. Uh, we call the, as believers, we kind of call the first five books of the Bible the law. What's the technical name? And it technically is because there are laws found in Genesis and Exodus mm-hmm. more so their um, covenants, mm-hmm. that could also be a word if you want to run with that for law. But we're looking at Leviticus. These are more on priestly laws mm-hmm. and ceremonial laws. Yes. So, you know, chapter one, talking about laws for burnt offerings and how you present a burnt offering, the circumstances mm-hmm. behind that. Um, keep on going. Grain offerings, peace offerings. And then chapter four is about sin offerings, um, mostly unintentional sin offerings. You know, you do a, you commit a sin without knowing. 
Right. And then how you give offerings for that. Guilt offerings. Um, keep on going. And then in chapter 7, we see how the priests pay up, play a part in these offerings. They're the ones who actually do the offering to God. That people bring their sacrifices mm-hmm. from their abundance of wealth, of goods, uh, mostly animals and like crops that they've grown. And they bring the best ones, the flawless ones. They give them to the priest to be slaughtered or to be consumed. And they go up to God as an offering, right? So, and who does this? Well, if you look at the title of the book, it's the book is Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And the way I always remember this is Leviticus has Levi in it in the name, yeah, right? And the tribe of Levi, okay, is the tribe of the priests. Mm-hmm. So just remember, Levi, Leviticus, tribe of priests. Yeah. And so that's who is performing all of the ceremonial sacrifices. Yeah, and both Moses and Aaron are from the tribe of Levi. Correct. And they so they both have jurisdiction to make sacrifices, but what we end up seeing in Leviticus is that Aaron is really the Aaron and his sons are really the ones who become the high priests. The main line, yeah, the big the, guys. Yeah, the main line. And we see that they have to be consecrated. So consecrated is like um, kind of that same sense of being holy, Mm -hmm. you know, being prepared in order to make sacrifices. So they have to be consecrated. And then Aaron and his sons actually go and they make the first sacrifice. And then we see that a couple of his sons die by making an unauthorized sacrifice. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you might think that's sad, but... God gives specific instructions on how to make sacrifices and when. And these two guys, they go and make a sacrifice without God wanting them to, and they die because of it. Mm -hmm. So it's very serious. It is very serious. And I I wouldn't want to say that you shouldn't have remorse for that. There shouldn't be mourning um, because what you shouldn't mourn for is the sin that happened there. And Aaron does. He takes a little bit of time to mourn. But he has to remember that he has a job to do, and it is a holy and sacred job to God, and is very important, and is very serious, and it will, if done wrong, result in death. Yeah. Um, so we keep seeing uh, there's laws about leprosy, and actually this is my favorite law. Oh. Um, yeah. So as far as I know, okay, Throughout the whole history of the Jewish people, there is never one single leprous person who is healed in the Old Testament. Interesting. Until we get to the New Testament, and then we finally see this law being fulfilled when Jesus heals leprous people. No, that's interesting. Because, I mean, there is the healing of leprosy, but I don't think it's for Jews. There, I'm pretty sure there is a Jewish man who is healed who's leprous in the Gospels, but never in the Old That's Testament. That's Old Testament. I think, is, there, is it just one man? There's only one person. He is not Jewish. Yeah, I know he's not Jewish. Interesting. Yeah. That's you never, so interesting. Yeah, you never find that occurrence in the Old Testament until we get to Jesus. Wow. Yeah, so you go all these years, thousands of years, without a single Jewish person being healed of leprosy, even though they have how to do it. Mm-hmm. 
and they have the ceremony for becoming clean after Afterwards, having leprosy. But they don't. It's interesting. Right. Kind of cool. Um, so continuing on, uh, cleansing from unhealthiness. There's also uh, laws about women who give birth and, you know, how to, for seven days, the male son, he's unclean. And then on the eighth day, he's circumcised, given over to the Lord. Uh, and then there's also regulations for the female, the daughter, uh, and after the birth. And then we get into really what I believe are, at least for believers, and Jews alike, the most important chapters mm. here in Leviticus. Uh, and I want to go back to this word holy because it's going to play a part in our salvation, right? And we see a command for holiness in a few places. We see it in chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. We see holiness commanded in chapter 19 and verse 2, in chapter 20, verses 7 and 26, and then in 21 and 8, and there specifically, at least if you read in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, mm-hmm. you see the word sanctify being used in chapter 21 and verse 8. So grace in Leviticus is God providing the proper laws and ceremonies and instruction in order for Israel to be in right standing with God, for them to be holy, right? And that's why I'm saying we see this most clearly in chapters 16 through 19, probably really 20. Uh, And I'm going to kind of go over them and see the connection between the Jews and Christianity with these laws. So what we get into here is actually atonement. Mm -hmm. And if you are watching on YouTube, okay, you can see the board up here. Yeah. Uh, on the left is actually the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Okay. And on the right is the cross. What we see in these two pictures is that blood, what Aaron has to do, okay. And that, remember, this is the Old Testament. He sacrifices for himself first mm-hmm. so that he can consecrate himself so that his sins are absolved first, so that he can make the sin sacrifice for everybody else, okay? And he splatters that blood of the bull he sacrifices on the mercy seat mm-hmm. in two specific spots, on the east side of the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Yeah, He splatters the blood seven times, mm-hmm. okay? And then two goats are brought in. One goat is slaughtered. Now, Pay attention to that word, slaughtered, Mm -hmm. because it's bloody. Blood is being thrown everywhere. It's being put on everything inside of the tent of meeting, right? It's sprinkled on the mercy seat, both the bull's blood and the goat's blood, Mm -hmm. and then the blood is smeared on the horns of the altar of incense later. So both this bull for Aaron is slaughtered, and then this goat for the people is slaughtered for sin. And we see that in, and it's very specific in chapter 16 when talking about the law of atonement, right? And it goes into this whole list of, you know, ceremonial practices, how they have to, like I said, how they have to be holy, clean. And there's a second goat. Mm -hmm. Okay, the second goat is not killed. 
But what Aaron, what the high priest is supposed to do is lay his hands upon this second goat, pray over it, putting the sins of the people on it, and then sending it into the wilderness. And it's not Aaron, the high priest, who sends it, but someone who is supposed to, someone standing outside the the tent who takes it into the wilderness to be let go. And the people's sins are absolved for a set time. And so that's chapter 16. Now chapter 17 uh, is about the proper place. So chapter 16, you know, is about atonement and the law of atonement. Okay. Chapter 17 is about the proper place to perform sacrifices. Yeah. And that is in the tent of meeting, right? They're told not to make sacrifices outside of the camp or anywhere else, but only at the tent of meeting. And only the priest is allowed to. And then chapter 18, uh, it kind of keeps going into this idea of holiness, and we'll continue looking at holiness, and we'll get to the we'll get to the cross in just a second. But we gotta understand the context of this first, chapter 16, 17 through 20, right? Chapter 18, God explains sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember where these people are coming from. They're coming from Egypt. Yeah. And so Egypt was rampant with polytheism, with sexual immorality. The same with the land that they're about to go into. Yeah. Canaan. The Canaanites there, they're rampant with sexual immorality too. And honestly, that's just the culture of the world in general. Anywhere you go, you see that. Nothing's really changed. And so... And I'll get into that in just a second. But our society is just as sexually immoral. As they were back then, yes. As they were back then, right? Oh, yeah. And so what God is telling these people is that I brought you out of Egypt, and I've ran the people out of Canaan so that you can take this land. Don't be sexually immoral like they are. And what that means is, you know, men aren't supposed to be sleeping with men. Mm -hmm. Women aren't supposed to be sleeping with women. People aren't supposed to be sleeping with animals. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be sleeping with your dad, your mm-hmm. father-in-law, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, your daughter, your son. That's what everybody else was doing during this time. They were sleeping and having mm-hmm. sex with whoever they wanted to. And God said, you're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. You're going to be separate. You're going to be holy. And it goes back to those verses I mentioned. And one of them we're about to come up on in chapter 19 and verse 2. And it's in the middle of all this context of sexual immorality. And the Lord said, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is chapter 19 verse one, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. That command is right there in the middle of all this sexual immorality. Right. And so what God doesn't want them to do is pervert themselves Mm -hmm. and not only themselves, but other people, you know, and that really ties into today's society because, you know, sex is so heavily advertised in everything, Mm -hmm. pornography rampant in young people's lives. And it not only affects how you view yourself and affects your relationship with God, but it also affects how you see other people whether you are a young man or a young woman looking at it, Mm -hmm. 
right? It is debauchery, and it makes you unclean. And these people are supposed to be clean and holy, separate. But the great thing about these chapters is chapter 16, right? You know, we may sin, but there's that scapegoat. Remember that goat I talked about? The one that's sent into the wilderness? That's where we get that term scapegoat from. It is, yeah. And if we bring this over into the New Testament, into, you know, our time, and this is why I have the the drawings on the board, and, you know, please, if you get a chance, you know, just hop over on YouTube and look at them right quick. They're not the best, but yeah, they're pretty good. In case you were curious, the, they were green. Yeah, they are green. But the mercy seat is where the blood is spilt. The tent is where mm-hmm. the sacrifice is made. Mm-hmm. Okay? And there's a few things to point out here between, you know, Christ and Aaron. All right? And I've actually written a few of them down, but in the Levitical sin offering, Aaron is the high priest. Okay? In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, Jesus is our high priest. Yeah. And I believe it's Hebrews 4. Yes, I believe that is correct. Hebrews 4 talks about it. You know, we have a great high priest. And then if we look back at the Levitical sin offering, you know, there's a bull sacrifice to cleanse Aaron before he can sacrifice for the people. Jesus is already perfect and clean. Yeah, he doesn't need to do that. No, he has no sin. He doesn't need to clean himself. He doesn't need to present himself as righteous before God because he is righteous. Mm -hmm. So we have a high priest who is already righteous, okay? And then there's, if we look back at this Levitical sin offering, right? There's one goat that is killed, and we've already talked about the other one being sent into the wilderness. Well, Jesus is both of them. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the goat who is slain. We say the lamb who was slain, yeah. but if we're if we're doing the parallels, you know, they they offer up a goat in the Old Testament, and then Jesus's death on the cross, mm-hmm. we call him the lamb, but which is biblical, yeah. So Jesus is both the lamb that gets slain on the cross, and he is the one that takes on our sins, just as a scapegoat mm-hmm. is sent out into the wilderness with our sins. So he does both for us. He bore our sins and he dies for us. Okay, and not only you know the sins we commit now but past, present, future sins for everyone for all time, which is amazing. And something to point out is that Aaron, and like I said, Aaron did it for the Israelites because they were God's people, God's one and only people at the time. Now that salvation is open for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. You know, and so we have to remember that. And, you know, salvation we have to remember is it's a work of grace. Yes. Right. When you look at the gospels, okay, Jesus is not put up on that cross unwillingly. He's not put up on that cross by force. He is not put up on that cross by anybody else except the father and himself. Mm Mm-hmm by their own coinciding wills to make a once and for all sin offering to the Father on behalf of us. Yeah, that's that's why it's love. That's why the love is so great and amazing. 
you know, because Jesus put himself on that cross. You know, he didn't, it wasn't that, they, it wasn't the people that put him up there. No, that was God's plan. You know, and at any moment, Jesus could have spoken and angels could have descended and protected him at any moment. Right. And it's interesting, you know, that you bring that up because if you look at uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, what do you see there? There's angels covering mm-hmm. the mercy seat, almost like they're protecting it. You know, they yeah. cast a shadow over the mercy seat, and the glory of God resides there. Mm-hmm. Jesus could have done the same thing. He could have said, hey, angels, come on down here, take me up off the cross, show these people my glory, and it would have been done lickety split. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. No, he had to die. He wanted to die for yeah. our sins and become that final sin-bearing scapegoat. You know, we love to use uh, the analogy of a courtroom. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And it's like being before a judge, and you've got these hefty fines. I mean, let's just, you know, you've done committed, like, triple homicide or something, and the judge is like, all right, you're good to go, and you're free. Yeah, it'd be like, what? Yeah, it's like, I just committed triple homicide, and you're letting me go? You know, that's how grave sin is. Mm-hmm. Like, any sin to God is enough for you to be put in hell. It doesn't matter what the sin looks like, how big or small you think it is. Yeah. It's enough for you to be put in hell. And John three 16, we've already mentioned it. Mm-hmm. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah. And so God, the Father, and God, the Son, both willingly with put the Son on the cross. Mm-hmm. And he dies. And it's the same picture we have here in Leviticus on the Day of Atonement. And then what's interesting is that there's a veil in place that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And we see it even way back here. Um, but that veil is torn. I mean, our, our specific reference, you know, in the Gospels is that it's the temple that's built, mm-hmm. the second temple. And that veil is torn so that we now have access through Jesus Christ, the high priest, to God the Father. We no longer need a high priest because Christ is our high priest. And so I think that's the amazing thing about salvation, that it's this gift, and that's the picture that grace is supposed to be. It's done for us. So we can't boast about it. Mm -hmm. We can't take pride in it. We can't say, hey, I've done something for myself to get me out of the position I'm in, when in reality we haven't. Yeah, And that's even the case here because... We never once see any of the Israelites sacrificing for themselves. They're all told to take it to Aaron, the high priest, mm-hmm. so that he can sacrifice for them. And it's the same thing we see in the Gospels. Yeah. So continuing on, you get more rules for some of the priests, and then we get some you know, laws about festivals, mm-hmm. uh, one of them being the Feast of Unleavened Bread, yep. Passover, things of that nature, so that they remember where they come from. They came out of Egypt. Uh, One of the cool things is the laws about the sabbatic year and the year of Mm -hmm. Jubilee. That's in chapter 25. So basically for six years, they grow crops. 
And then on that sixth year, they grow enough for basically two years. And they repeat this process for 49 years. So every seventh year, they don't grow anything. They don't till the land. Mm-hmm. But they eat what naturally grows, and God provides for them, right? And then on the 50th year, it's a year of jubilee. Yep. So a year of joyous occasion. Um, the land is allowed to regrow and prosper. Um, there's some laws that kind of go into that. Um, redemption heavily mm. implied with the year of jubilee. Um, people giving back what they're owed. Yep. People being redeemed, things being restored between the Israelites. And even it goes into how to treat uh, the people, the sojourners, the yeah. people who aren't a part of them. So it's fascinating to look at some of these laws. And then, you know, chapter 26 about obedience and what happens, you know, if they don't obey these. Uh, verse 25 says, I'll also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant. And when you gather together in your cities, I will send pestilence among you so that you shall be delivered into enemy hands. Mm-hmm. Quite interesting. Because uh, God is serious about these laws. Oh, and yeah. Then, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a spoiler. I mean, it happens. Yeah. Like, it literally does happen. It does happen. And the last thing, uh, we actually kind of, I actually kind of mentioned this um, a little while ago. Um, but talking about vows there's laws against taking vows and not making good on those vows. Mm -hmm. And I believe the verse is actually don't make a vow. What is it? Man, now I'm blanking on it. It's better to not make a vow than to make one and not keep it. Mm -hmm. And so there's laws about that as well. And what we have to remember is that these laws aren't a list of do's and don'ts. That's not what God intends for us. No, I mean, technically, yes, they are, but that's not really the purpose of them. Right. And the way I look at it is a list of do's and don'ts is regulated by the command because I said so. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, think of it this way. Your mom tells you to go take out the trash and you say, why? And And she says, because I said so. Now go do it. Right. Or she tells you to go wash the dishes, mm-hmm. and you're like, why? And she says, because I said so, right? That's a list of do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. The difference between that and these laws is God's command, be holy for I am holy. Yeah. And and it, I, I think there's so much grace there. You know, God tells them, be holy, be separate, and then he shows them how. Right. Yeah, he gives them the way to do it. And... You know, they're blessed when they are Mm -hmm. following those commandments. And then they're under God's judgment when they aren't. Yeah. But, you know, thank the Lord that, you know, when we sin, our sins may be covered. Right. But that doesn't give us free reign to sin. Mm. You know, the verse is, do we sin so that grace may abound? No. That's the obvious answer. Right? Mm-hmm. So we don't continue sinning so that we get more grace. That's not how it works. Like, you don't get more grace the more times you sin. Mm-hmm. Like, you already have all the grace yeah. and all the mercy that how, God can give you. How can you, who died to sin, continue in it? Right. You know, we're new creations. Mm-hmm. The old is gone, the new has come. And so we have to live in that and be holy. It's the same principle. And Peter repeats it. Uh, I believe it's in First Peter. It is. What, chapter 2, chapter 4, something chapter like that? One. Chapter 1. Be holy. Yeah, he repeats the same command. 
be holy for I'm holy. And so with that, like if you see something repeated in the New Testament from the Old Testament, I would say chances are it's that, important. <laughs> yeah, it's important and that we're still bound by it. Yeah. Right. As at least as believers, as Christians, right? You know, as far as I know, I'm not Jewish one at all, you know, one hundred percent not Jewish. You know, I have no reason to be bound by Jewish ceremonial laws found in Leviticus mm-hmm. because I'm a Gentile, right? So why am I going to go and bind myself to Jewish ceremonial laws and bring myself under the weight of that when Christ has already suffered the weight of it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. It's true. And Paul, like I said, he put, he goes into that in Galatians. And he talks about the danger of that. Um, and we'll probably get to that book one day. I think but, it's pretty quick on, pretty close on the agenda. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But like I said, the parallels between what Aaron is doing in chapter 16 and the surrounding chapters there is so heavily seen in Christ's work on the cross. Yes. That, I mean, it's just, you know, you have to have one to understand the other, or you just can't. So that's kind of, that's what I think is the most important part to look at in Leviticus. I think as at least, at least as a believer, is that day of atonement and that sacrifice there and what grace means through that and how we see it through that. Mm-hmm. And it's, and like I said, it's through Christ dying. It's through that sin being taken on him. He's the goat. He's the scapegoat. And he overcomes it all. And so we don't have to. Mm-hmm. And he never expects us to. Any last thoughts? No, I mean, I think that's really all amazing. Uh, I'm going to be honest. If you haven't read Leviticus, read Leviticus. Yeah. Look, I know it doesn't have a good reputation. You know, oftentimes people are like, you know, that's the book you skip. You're like, oh, Genesis, there's so many cool things. Exodus, there's even cooler things that happen. And it's Leviticus. And you're like, nah, just skip that. Get the numbers because there's cool things in numbers, <laughs> right. you know. But I think there's so much that you can get out of Leviticus. Right. I mean, to understand Jewish culture, mm-hmm. you've got to understand something like Leviticus. Absolutely. And I mean, I'll be honest, how are you going to understand the book of Hebrews if you don't understand the book of Leviticus? Right. You know, because there's so many, I mean, I just don't, I mean, I really just the whole Torah in general, you know, continuing on with the rest of the Old Testament, you need to understand that before you can even come close to understanding Hebrews. Yeah. And it's like I've been saying the whole time, you're not going to understand the significance of Christ's death mm. when you don't understand Leviticus. Yeah. And the sin of atonement like the sacrifice of atonement the yeah. day of atonement yep. what goes on then because it's it's straight parallels 100 yeah. percent paralleled to each other and also i mean there's big draws from leviticus and jesus teachings oh absolutely and also from deuteronomy i think yeah, those are like i think the, i think more so deuteronomy but there's definitely leviticus yeah but there. i'm pretty sure like those are the two books he actually quotes some of the most often besides like daniel yeah, other than like the prophets, that's yeah. where he goes to for quoting often. So very important writings to study and to understand the rest of the Bible with. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, go over. I would encourage you like read Leviticus 16. Yeah. And 17 and 18. And honestly, just read it as a whole, as we have already said, because you'll mm-hmm. see the grace there. Like, oh, absolutely. You will. And it goes back to that. And it goes back to that definition from Merriam-Webster, which is why I brought that up. Mm right divine intervention like god does it on our behalf yeah and he gives us the way to do it 
And if we just follow it, then we're good. So that's all I've got on Leviticus. You guys are excited for numbers. For numbers. Numbers is a good book. Oh, my goodness. Numbers might be my favorite out of the first five books of the Bible. Yeah. You know, numbers might be my favorite. There's so much cool stuff that happens. Yeah, and it'll honestly kind of be picking up where Exodus more or less left off. Yeah, basically. You know, I mean, Leviticus, a lot of this stuff is being given and written, and a lot of the stuff that happens is happening while they're at Sinai. Right. In that time in between when they're building, you see it at the end of Exodus, while they're building all this stuff, doing all this stuff. That's kind of where this fits. You know, numbers picks up right where Exodus ends off. Right. And so we'll look at that next week. Um, Actually, I think not, you, not next week. In oh, two yes, weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Uh, we got a we got a different thing coming up next week. Very special uh, guest star. Yeah. First oh, guest star. Very excited. Uh, it's going to be our Halloween episode. Even though ooh, it's not ooh. really doesn't really have any connection with had Halloween some, whatsoever. Yeah. I wish we had some spooky sound effects. I might play some spooky music next week. Probably not, but maybe. We'll see. Yeah, uh, but we're not going to be talking about Halloween. No. Talking about something uh, more important that happened on October 31st. Right. And we'll see who that is or what that is next week. We will, yes. Uh, so other than that, uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. We're found at the Upper Room Discourse. Yeah, on YouTube, Spotify, yeah, Apple Music. Hit that uh, notification bell. So you'll see every time a new episode comes out. On Spotify and YouTube. They both have a notification bell. Hit subscribe on YouTube and you'll be able to see when we post and upload. Exactly. Uh, Find us, obviously, on our Patreon. I can't say that enough. We're going to have resources there. Uh, There's going to be a lot of free resources. Obviously, there's going to be some paid resources. uh, But there's going to be a lot of free resources. Right. I, I mean, it almost works like a blog for us, basically, where we can post things and you guys can see them. Right. Yeah, be sure to check those out. And we'll see you next week. Yep. See you soon. See ya. You have reached the end of the record. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube and also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.